Welcome to the first proper episode of Never Morphed, a podcast in which I, Will Williams, read every single book in the Animorphs series for the first time and then discuss it with a hardcore Animorphs fan. This is a podcast about a book series for kids, but I am very much an adult, and the show is made for adult audiences. This week, we are starting with the very first book and also a bunch of stuff I figured out between episode zero and now. This episode is going to be the first half of our book one conversation because there was a lot to talk about, like a lot. <laughs> if you want the full discussion of book one with over 20 deleted bits of convo, a whopping three-ish hours of audio, go hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash there, you can also find bonus audio of my live reactions to the books and my notes as I read. You get those whenever they're done instead of having to wait between each book. My guest this week is the incredible Lee Pfeffer of the podcast History is Gay. This podcast is a meticulously researched dive into queer history that I can't recommend enough. I've really enjoyed the episodes on Sister Rosetta Tharp and the Amazons, and you can find a link to both of those episodes in the show notes. Lee is one of the main reasons this podcast even exists, so I absolutely had to bring them on to talk about the first two books. Lee, it is so good to have you here. Um, you are <laughs> arguably... Uh, the person who got me to take this from, like, a joke to an actual podcast. <laughs> yeah. So when I was first talking about this potential idea, I think on Tumblr, you were like, Will, you got to do this. And also, can I guest? <laughs> yeah. Just, the enthusiasm, just slide into your it. DMs. Like, yeah. Animorphs posting? Animorphs <laughs> posting? What? <laughs> Which, ideal for me, because I really had no fucking clue um, just how intense this fan base was. I really, I really went in knowing so little. And I was like, is anybody going to give a shit? Is anybody even going to want to guess? So thank you. Because um, I have been having the time of my life. Yes. I'm so far. I'm so happy that you are having a good time. I mean, I think one of the first things that I, I said to you because I think you mentioned it on like Facebook first, just that you were gonna, oh, yeah, you were gonna like read the books as your um, New Year's resolution, and that's when I was mm -hmm. like, oh my god, will I get animorphs? I'm obsessed. Blah 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 blah. So let's talk about your history with animorphs. We know that mine is like literally nothing, and we'll get into the things that I've already gotten really, really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to know your history. When did you first encounter animorphs? So I don't really, I don't really know what age I was. I was young. I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. um, and I think I found I think I just found them at that magical magical place called the Scholastic Book Fair. Oh. Um, I think I just picked them up. I was <laughs> I was the kid who really loved animals. Who um, mm -hmm. instead of hanging out with people in recess, I was in the library reading nature books. I was reading like different series, uh, like each you know, like there was a collection of books in the library, and you know, I remember really liking the one about like the white-tailed deer, right? Like mm. I was, I, I had zoo books, I had wildlife wildlife fact files, right? Like I was the animals kid. I was the kid who pretended to play doggy way too late. <laughs> and had, you know, like the principal call my mom in because 
they got a call, you know, she got a call saying, hey, your kid was playing doggy and bit another kid. Um, awesome. <laughs> so, so I was, <laughs> I was primed for this shit. Uh, and yeah, and it just like, it became, it became my first fandom uh mm-hmm. like pre-internet fandom and none of my none of my friends nobody i knew was into them except for my cousin so shout out to my cousin lily because it was like a two-person fandom for us we would just we would <laughs> sit like anytime we would visit each other we would be sitting on the couch and reading the books i actually remember i actually have very very vivid memories of reading the last book together on her couch in Aww. la did you watch the tv show when it came out i did I did. Um, it was an experience. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was so excited to have any content, honestly, because yeah. like it was, it was very isolating because I didn't know anybody. It was like my cousin, yeah. my cousin's friends were actually into it. Like I remember, I remember a birthday party in some restaurant where it was just a bunch of us batshit kids running around this restaurant playing Animorphs. Um, like that's, so that's how young I was, right? Um, yeah, I think the last book came out in two thousand one. So I literally, oh wow, like I grew Whoa, up wait, with the hold books. Up. Yeah, well, because I started in ninety six. But there's like, <laughs> whoa, hold on. We 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 will talk what? about this. <laughs> what? Yeah. So after like uh, like book twenty something, they were ghostwritten because yeah. uh, poor K. A. Applegate, Catherine Applegate, and her husband Michael Grant, who is an uncredited writer, they they wrote these together. Um, mm. Simply could not keep up with the schedule that Scholastic had them doing because that's insane. What, what was the schedule? They had to put out like a book a month. Ah, ah, yeah yeah ah, yeah no, so like what? any so anybody who's like oh their later books are ghost written it's like are you kidding this they were churning them out like literally just just factory style like this is what yeah. scholastic was like in the 90s um, yeah and so yeah the last book came out in 2001 That's which was crazy. when i was in uh, when I was just finishing junior high or starting high school, so wow. I I literally grew up with these with these books. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. My mind wild. is like literally blown right now. I I thought you were gonna say like yeah the last book came out in like twenty two thousand eight twenty twelve. Nope. Nope. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And there's fifty four books in the main series. Yes. And then there's like six or seven like side books as well so and those those side books were all except for the alternomorphs which are like choose your own adventure um all the other ones were like written by uh applegate and grant Um, wow well let's let's pivot real quick into the things that I have found out uh, since I recorded <laughs> the pilot episode, because um, I feel like there's a lot here. So first off, um, I think maybe the um, the silliest revelation is it didn't really occur to me that the books... Um, would all have titles. <laughs> mm, okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. That's nothing. I really was expecting like Animorphs book one, Animorphs book two, because there's so many. 
Because there's so many. No, they straight up have titles. They straight up have titles. (laughs) And honestly, sometimes the titles really... Don't don't seem to align. Like I think that the titles mostly were things that like Scholastic came up with. Totally. I think I Absolutely. think I, re- I think I remember reading somewhere in in Catherine Applegate's. Um, she did like a Reddit AMA several years ago that is very good, and you should absolutely not read it until you finish. Yeah, because um, it's chock full of spoilers. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that like Scholastic came up with the titles. The fact that like book two is like the visitor, like. Yeah, what's that I like? About? I feel like I feel like that would have been even better for book one, but like Elfangor, ah, the visitor. But Absolutely. you know, I guess I guess what like just Rachel Rachel's the visitor in the Chapman house. <laughs> Man, I guess so. For listeners, we're recording uh, on books one and two today. Uh, editing will here from the future. No, the fuck we didn't. We talked for four hours about book one. We recorded for book two uh, several weeks later. <laughs> So I have read book two, but that's it. That's all, that's all I've read. <laughs> I know. So there's, so much so, I, there's so much I have to hold back from you. <laughs> other things I have found out since starting um, that I have questions about. One thing I was wrong about is that there absolutely were video games. Yes. Yes, there were. Um, I've heard they were okay. There's also graphic novels. You said that these are kind of recent. Yeah, they're really recent. Um, twenty twenty, I think the first one came out. Um, they're Crazy. up to, I think, I think they're up to like number four. I've only, I've only read the first two. I need to catch up on them. But um, how'd you like them? I think they're fun. I mean, there's, there's something I think that is inherently missing in the fact that so much of the, so much of the 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 horror and the gravitas of the books is portrayed through the POV. And I'm a kind mm-hmm. of person who like, I'm not really into first, first person POV Same. with stuff that I read, especially with like, I, I especially don't read it with fic. Fic is weird for me. Um, mm-hmm. But these books, I feel like there's, there's like no other way to do it. And so I think that they're totally. really fun. I really love the characterizations and the artwork and seeing things come to life. And I think it, lends really well to a visual medium because i've said to myself like you know we had the tv show and you're just you're so limited by (laughs) by graphics um yeah i think this is another classic case of like a series that really should have been animated exactly that's what i was just about to say is i have wanted to see an animorphs animated series for so long and so this is like the closest we can get to it and i think it's real i think it's really fun Um, i want to see it specifically by the team that did young justice oh interesting okay i think that would be i think that they would fucking nail it yeah, yeah, I think like the the art in in the Chris Grind books are are really fun, but I always felt like it would be um they're they're very um it's very like what's the word like like it's very round, it's very bubbly, and yeah. I always felt like a a great like animated depiction and ad- animated ad- adaptation would be really good with really like hard angular yeah. lines of animation. Um, yes, but, it's such a sharp series, except for when it's not, which we'll get to yeah. with Elfangor, Elfangor, the prince. Yeah. Um, the other, so another thing I found out, what's with these alternate covers? I was only ever familiar with that, like, classic Animorphs, like, morph process cover, mm-hmm. you know, like, the, the big iconic covers. And then I go Googling, and there's, like, 
other covers of them like mid morph that are um repulsive in a new way where did these come from that doesn't that doesn't come across very well online because they're um they're lenticular covers (gasps) so get out of town are you kidding me no no yeah it's got it's a lenticular panel on the front yeah so in i think i was looking it up i think in 2010 they like relaunched the series um they tried they tried to relaunch it um so they like i think they put out like they said that they were doing like one through six right away. Like there was a bunch of marketing around it. And this was actually the t- around the time that I was an independent bookseller. So I was like, fuck yes. Yeah. So excited. I can finally recommend Animorphs to people on my job. Um, Cause you know, they were out of print for so long. Um, they were. Oh yeah. They're still out of print. What? <laughs> they're out of print. Yeah. Is that why they were allowed to make the PDFs? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was literally like I thought that the PDFs were like an official release from K.A. Applegate. And I was like, first off, how does she have the rights to do that? And then I saw that they weren't. And I, I mean, was she's like, chill with it. She's absolutely chill with it. But yeah, no, they've been out of they're They're out of print. Wow. Whoa. They did this like relaunch. Uh, they updated some things in the books. So some of the things that were like really 90s centric and updated them to be a little bit more modern. Uh, I think that they like cleaned up a couple of um of continuity errors which is funny mm. in in the fandom they're called casus Catherine applegate screw-ups um which are <laughs> things that she called she called them herself i believe um, that's very cute yeah it it very much reminds me of um xena fandom uh continuity errors uh which is just uh called yaxi yet another xena inconsistency um <laughs> just that er- that era of fandom where nothing is standardized and you just have everything really insular it's great um, oh yeah yeah, That's so uh, but they they only they didn't do well, and so I think that they stopped after like book seven. I think they released book eight, but only in ebook form. Let's get into book one. Uh, yes, because yeah, I obviously did not read these growing up. I wish I had, and reading them as an adult. This shit fucking slaps. It's right? so good. It's so good right off the bat. I like couldn't believe it. It's so fun. It's right? so riveting. And it's so dark. They're like, so dark. Immediately, immediately, it's so fucking dark. Half of the half of the getting people into Animorphs is that there's so many memes about like, oh, did anybody ever read those Animorphs books? Or did they just look at the weird covers and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's like. No, you don't understand. These are hard. I mean, yes, there's like, oh, sick dude, let's play video games and blah, 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 blah. But it's also, these are child soldiers in an intergalactic war and they all get real fucked up about it. Yeah, like these games, I mean, these books right off the get-go are not like, they're not fucking around with that. They are here to tell a story with intense themes and Mm -hmm. it doesn't, well... I would say it doesn't ease you into it, but I bet it does. It just starts at such a higher level yeah. than like any other children's series. I would say that these books are even more brutal than a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Because at least that series is like fun about it. You know, there's like a sense of whimsy <laughs> that- and a sense of like the tragedy being so tragic that it loops back around to comic. Like they're dark comedies. Yeah. This mm-hmm. This isn't that at all. <laughs> no, it's I mean there's there's like moments of levity, 
But it's very yeah. much a, I mean, these these kids are literally in book one and book two, waking up from PTSD nightmares. Yes. Let's dive right into the first chapter. So first chapter is like, I think a pretty typical, like starting right off the bat, young adult fiction, or I have been told middle grade fiction. It starts with that, like, you know, the kind of introduction that we get in like a Percy Jackson where it's like, hi, I'm Jake. You don't have my last name. It's too dangerous. Everything is fuck and shit so bad. And I was like, cool, starting off with this like pretty, you know, very, very of this time introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that has confused me so far is where this takes place and how old they are. So I looked up how old they are because I was convinced I just like glossed over it when I read but he doesn't say how old he is in this book, right? Right. I don't think you get their actual ages until the very end. Rachel in book two says I th- she's 13 or 14. Yeah. Do we know where this takes place? Because I, I, for some reason, I think this is because I lived, you know, I grew up in Arizona. And I think... I think of everything as set on the West Coast. <laughs> but since moving to the East Coast, it feels very East Coasty. Where is the set? I cannot tell you. <laughs> you For will reasons? You will find out sort okay. of where they are at okay. the very, very end. It is revealed the they're in the United States. Yeah. That we can, you know, that just culturally. Yeah, They're it's in the a States. desperately American it, series. It will be it will be revealed by the end book what state they are in. But uh Kay Applegate has has specifically mentioned that it's it's not actually a real town, but okay. the fandom has has placed it near a couple of of cities in redacted state that could be cool. a good option. Cool. Oh man. Okay, that's this is like the boringest thing for me to have theories on. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, because because that's the whole point is, I mean, right, literally right. the opening, the opening lines of the book is, you know, like, I won't even tell you where I live. You'll yeah. just have to trust me that it's a real place, a real town. It might even be your town. Yeah. Like a year out from having moved from almost one coast to the other like it's very (laughs) top of mind right now so we get this intro to jake and my assessment of jake is i was not expecting so i knew that he was going to be kind of like you know um a boy tm you know um i thought he was going to be a pretty typical boy but dude jake is sad Jake is, uh, my poor baby boy. He takes he hates on himself. He he just he takes on so much more than he needs to. Yes, <laughs> yes. He carries so much guilt. Yes, and so much responsibility. And I mean, his friends kind of put him in that situation, but also he's oh my the god, right, yes. But he is also the right guy for the job. Yeah, he like. <laughs> 
like right off the bat, like there is so much responsibility he is putting on his shoulders and so much he feels like he has to live up to. Like even like the, the this initial conflict is that he didn't get on the basketball team and he's really upset about it because he feels like he's going to disappoint his brother. Like right, he's not he doesn't even care about the fact that he didn't really get on the team. He cares right. that it's something that is important to his big brother who he looks up to so much. Tom. Yeah who was on the basketball team, who was a star player. And he's like, crap, I didn't get on. Tom's going to be so disappointed in me. Yeah. And I knew from like what I saw of the series, because I remember the first episode of the series, kind of. And I know that Tom, I knew reading that Tom got yerked. Uh, And so I knew off the bat, like, oh, this is going to be so tragic. Uh, But I think Mm -hmm. I could have guessed that from like the moment in this introduction where Jake is like, yeah, I haven't really been connecting with Tom in the last couple of months. I think I would have been like, oh, he he got yerked. Yeah. Uh, and we also get introduction to the other characters in pretty quick succession. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got Marco, who is Jake's bestie. Um, he's kind of a wise guy. He, he kind of feels like a Sokka archetype a little bit he's absolutely a soccer he's he's a he's like a 12 year old stand-up comedian yeah Um, yeah yeah. and a lot of Uh, what he's and a lot of what he says is not even necessarily things that he believes earnestly it's stuff to just kind of be a little a little annoying butthead and like contrarian to just he likes pushing everybody's buttons because very guess what? He's also deeply sad. <laughs> yeah. He's, all of these characters are deeply sad. I really <laughs> waffle about Marco. I'm really excited to get hit to his POV because right now, I don't like him very much. But I also completely understand where he's coming from. And also, he's like a baby. Um, but he's yeah. super reactionary. Um, he doesn't even – like he has very specific – feelings that he clings on to for very good reasons but it seems like everything else is almost always him being contrarian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that that's a really i think he's a great foil for jake um because jake is so jake is a thinker he's a ponderer he likes mm-hmm. mulling over and processing an issue um, and Marco is like, the opposite. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's really interesting to to hear from me because once you get into Marco's POV, you're going to learn so much more about him. And oh, yeah, some of it is cover up. But I mean, he ends up mm. I don't think it's a spoil. I don't think it's a spoiler to say like he ends up becoming in the team like the strategist. For a lot of stuff. I fucking knew it. Sokka archetype. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. No, so when you said Sokka, I'm like, yeah, you got it. Um. <laughs> so we also know that Jake has a crush on Cassie. Cassie. It's so obvious and it's so cute. Yes. And like, I cannot blame him. So Cassie, first off, she's a black girl, Um, like canonically and without ambiguity. She's right? a black girl. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Just this book in 1996 being like, Cassie wears overalls and she loves animals yeah. and she's black. And I think she's really cute. Y- yeah. Yeah. And she's like quiet. Again, she's a processor. She is somebody who always has a kind word to say. She's a silver linings person. She always knows exactly what to say to like bring cohesion back to mm-hmm. everybody and kind of like 
kind of um, de-escalate a situation really well, which I think is, uh, these are not characteristics that we see applied to Black women ever, even if they are young Black girls. Like, that's just not something we see. I really, really love her. I think that she's a delight. And notably, her parents are veterinarians, which we will get yeah. into. How convenient. How convenient. <laughs> It's really lucky that the kids who got the ability to turn into animals have such unfettered access to <laughs> lots of different animals. Yes, to <laughs> to like a wide range wide of variety. Animals. Yeah. We also get introduced pretty quickly to Tobias. He is uh getting swirlied. Uh My he is baby a, a boy. He seems a pretty a like a pretty one-to-one nerd archetype at first, but he is fascinating. He is complicated. In this first chapter, Jake and Marco are playing video games at the mall and then they come across Rachel and Cassie. And Tobias is really talked about as like, he finds them and he says hi. And then he's just kind of like there. And they're like, oh, I guess he's hanging out with us now. They talk about him, you know, having his head in the clouds, again, being somebody who's like bullied and seen as kind of like awkward. They also, at one point, he is like, straight up stimming he is pacing back Mm. and forth and like snapping his fingers um which i do have adhd and like yeah did i feel like i could claim him for us but like my boy is neurodivergent for sure absolutely so then uh, we also meet rachel and rachel ooh, rachel's my girl (laughs) i i'm biased i've read book two i really like her she's pretty she's blonde she's graceful um But she is a badass. She is very self-assured in this first book. She doesn't really have time for bullshit or for games. Um, She always has a retort to Marco. She, like, she's toe-to-toe with him. Mm -hmm. She's very sharp. And I really adore her. So I did – I – so something I have not <laughs> come across yet in the books is I am pretty sure I have seen memes about Rachel being like totally fine with doing war crimes. Um, yeah. We'll tuck that in my back pocket for now. But that is something I am looking forward to. It's something I'm curious about. Yeah. Um, so all of this whole group uh, coalesces together in the mall. They decide that they're going to walk home together. And then they they walk through this abandoned construction site. And I vaguely remembered again from the show that it had this sort of like industrial overgrown aesthetic. And that is mm. one of the primary reasons I wanted to read these books is uh, – Abandoned construction site with, like, grass and vines growing out of it. That's, like, gender number one for me. Yes. (laughs) It's it's so fucking good. It is one of my favorite aesthetics. I'm, like, I'm somebody who could just, like, look at illustrations of power lines all day. (laughs) So they walk through this construction site. Vibes are just peak. And I really loved that the, the way that all of this shit unfolds, this inciting incident happens in this space that is a combination of industrialization, technology, and nature. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 
this site that has all of this metal and concrete, but it's being overgrown because it's been completely abandoned, which is, a, it feels so anamorphs. Such a good locus for an entire story that's about transition and, yes. really, violent, and really violent transition. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's this, you know, combination of this sci-fi aesthetic and technology and these very primal, biological, natural uh, thoughts and feelings and experiences of transforming into animals. Like, it just seems, it's so perfect. What a perfect place to set this in. Mm -hmm. So they arrive in this construction zone and literally <laughs> end of chapter one, oh, hey, that's a spaceship. Yeah. Tobias is just like, uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this spaceship has a dying alien coming out of it and this alien is an andalite i'm so interested to hear your your <laughs> response to the andalite <laughs> like like what you because because you haven't i mean you saw the you know the the, the tv series a little bit yes. but like what is based on the description in the book like what is your visual of of this character so it's it's definitely informed by the tv show but it's much more um whimsical almost like miyazaki like princess mononoke forest spirit in my head mm -hmm. um i see i see the andalite as much like fluffier <laughs> in its mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. um, than it was so, you know, sleek in the show. Um, also, hey, that's a manticore. <laughs> that's just straight up a manticore. Like, that is a, a manticore a little bit to the left. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a centaur manticore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a really lovely description. And when it got introduced, but especially when they go into his ship, which we'll get to in a second, um, I really thought he was a baby. Um, <laughs> I, saw I was it like, in your notes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like convinced it was a baby. Um, also, I don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> the man just died, Will. <laughs> I so. I, I think that I'm so used to fucked up media for adults that, like, when a nice thing happens and, like, a character seems good, I'm immediately like, mm-mm, mm-mm, secret <laughs> villain, secret villain. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Will's over here be like, I don't know, the Yerks seem fine. I love I slugs. <laughs> <laughs> the ship comes down. Um, they've they start trying to talk to the ship, which I thought is very funny. Um, but then they're definitely talking to this alien who is dying, and he is like really chill about dying. He's just very factual. Yeah. And it they should have be said this... he's not actually talking. Oh, you're right. So he's not speaking out loud. He doesn't have like a mouth mouth. He has like. Like I'm not slits. wild. It's like about it's like a mouths. it's like a no. It's like it's like a it's where his he doesn't have a mouth where his yeah. where your nose would be. It's like slits. Yeah, like like vertical yeah. like vertical slits. Not I don't love that. So he talks <laughs> to them telepathically, um, and they can all hear. And they have this like sense of 
like they're talking to an old friend. That also makes me nervous. Um, <laughs> it feels like they are being – again, I'm like in Baldur's Gate brain right now, but it feels like they're being hit with like charm person. I don't like that. <laughs> um, I don't trust it. I think I'm supposed to, but I don't. What if he's just really charismatic, Will? I know. I know. <laughs> And he is, as we find out, he is a prince. Like, it is kind of his job. Put some respect on this dying alien's name. (laughs) (laughs) The final lines in this chapter is he is saying, they have come to destroy you, which is a baller way to end a chapter. And then we jump right into... Exposition land. What the fuck is going on here? So we know that this alien is from a race called Andalites. And then there are evil aliens called Yerks and Controllers. For a long time, I had no fucking clue what a controller was. I only knew about Yerks. Um, and so when the controllers got introduced, I was like, what the fuck is this? What oh, is that? I thought it was just the Yeah, a controller is just what you call another race that's being, another being that's being enslaved by a Yerk. Yeah, yeah. Um, would work on me. Would would work? I'd I'd be yeah. Yelling, what would be yeah, the argument? <laughs> yeah, you're just just hey, I'm a slug. Welcome me into your brain. Yeah, it, okay, if, if a chill. slug came up to me and it was like, "Hi, I would like to take over your body and your brain," and we'll I'll like we'll peace out. I would be like, "I'm sold," and it would be like, "I didn't even tell you about the benefits for you yet," and I'd be like, "You're good." <laughs> that's fine that's sufficient let's go (laughs) so the andalite the andalite uh explains the yerk situation like you said the yerk turns uh people it slugs up into people and it controls them they are rat sized which is a lot bigger than i remembered Mm -hmm. yeah and then the andalite They they squeeze into your brain Yes. Through your ear canal. Yes. Yes. Which is, it's gross, but. Yeah. Also, you know. probably in reality <laughs> wouldn't work if, if you wanted an easier way to get up into oh, the brain, yeah. probably go up through the nose. The nose. Yeah. 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 Or if you're going to, again, there's, it's there's just something, it, going through the there's eye. just something viscerally gross about something. Cr- it, it's like, it's like. You know, people's thoughts about, like, earwigs and, like, finding spider eggs in their ears. Like, there's just something yeah. viscerally uncomfortable about something crawling into your ear to get at your brain. Ugh. And I feel like at the age this was written for, there's also something very wet willy about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, the Andalite is like, listen, go into my ship, get this box, um, because I have to give you this technology right now or everyone is going to die. So, Jake goes into the spaceship and this is why I thought that this guy was a baby. <laughs> the spaceship is so booba coded. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. So with like the booba and Kiki, um, everything in these books is very booba and Kiki coded. So it's all like beige and round. And I was like in my head, I was thinking of like this minimalist babies trend. <laughs> You know, with these like beige baby toys. And I was like, oh my God, he's a baby. I was so convinced. I know, right? But then you're <laughs> I'm just looking at your notes and just in all caps, is he a baby? No, but he has babies. Okay. Yeah. So like immediately after I was like 
reeling from what I thought was a revelation that he was a baby. Then we get the the picture of his family and he has babies. So like, I guess Andalite aesthetics are just like baby coded. Um, but he has babies, which is like arguably, well, I don't know, worse, better. It's bad. It's, it's additionally bad. Um, <laughs> he tells them, okay, I have this technology that will turn you into you can turn into any animal if you have touched the animal and collected their DNA. There's limitations, but he's like, I am dying. <laughs> like, we gotta go. I don't um, have time. Because, yeah, like, and people are on their way. Like, everything is so bad. Um, and Marco is like, I don't believe any of this shit is even happening. Meanwhile, everybody else is pretty game. Um, Cassie especially is like, fuck yeah, let's go. Turn into animals? Yes. And they can all feel his emotions. Mm-hmm. And they know that he is so sad to be dying and that his feeling towards the Yerks is hatred. And in this moment, I knew that they were going to feel him die. Mm-hmm. I knew in this moment. I was like, this They're is going to be so up. fucked up. <laughs> Chapter four, they're introducing, like, a whole ton of shit because the evil aliens arrive. So we have we have a bug fighter, which I thought was a type of creature, but it's not. It's a spaceship. Oh, no, it's the ship. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like a legless cockroach. Then we have the hork bajir, um, which are these, like, big, bad, scary guys. And they have... Bent back T-Rex legs, long snake necks, falcon's beaks, and three horns. I can, like, barely conceptualize that in my head. Um, <laughs> it looks a little bit in my head. Like, the, the long neck. The long snake neck is what gets me. Um, and then they have blades sticking out from everywhere. So from their elbows and their wrists, they are, like, ready to fight. Um, and these ones are hork controllers, so they are being controlled by these yerks. So we also get taxons, um, which are, like, big millipedes with red jello eyes and, like, horrid lamprey teeth at the back end. And the thing is that I think that that sounds like it would be cute. Um <laughs> <laughs> like, I know that these are so evil-coded, but, like, again, it just doesn't work on me like that. I think they sound kind of sweet. The Andalite says – he's, like, very quickly explaining what the fuck is going on here to these kids who are watching these aliens arrive. And he says that the taxons are evil. Like, cut-and-dry taxons are evil. This is another thing that makes me not trust the Andalite. I don't believe that a species can be evil. <laughs> well, I think the thing with with the taxons that you that you learn in like book two a little bit more is that the as a whole, the taxons as a as a species for the most part are all voluntary controllers. Yes, they're like yeah, yes. sure, fuck me up because they're yeah. very cannibalistic. They're very primal. They're very much just like I want to eat. I want to eat. Yeah. I want to eat dead things. I want to tear things open. I want to eat. Um, which, I love you them. know, is is like, <laughs> you know, that's that's something for for, you know, considering that to be like evil. Right. You know, but it's the like, what is morality in this kind of world? 
where you have like yes. enslavement and people are like, yeah, sure, fucking cool. Then we also meet Visser 3. This My is guy. a name that was familiar to me, but I didn't really remember. Um, first off, fucking sick name. Right? Really cool sounding. Um, I like that it's kind of pulling on Vizier. You know, mm, it's mm-hmm. just it just sounds fucking sick. So he is a controller who can shapeshift like the Andalite. And he looks like an Andalite. And it is because he is a controller of an Andalite. So he's an Andalite that got yurked. And he is, to our knowledge, the only controller who can shapeshift, the only one with that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems only, like it's because he's the only Yerk who has managed to infest an Andalite. Yes. Yes. Um, so the Andalite says, put your hand on this box. This is going to give you this power and this technology. So they do it. Um, Marco is the only one who seems really hesitant, but he still does it. Tobias, something going on here. (laughs) (laughs) So Tobias is like, for the first time since we got introduced to him, like, it seems like he is completely like at peace he is so in ease in the situation jake i have a passage pulled here finally i looked at tobias it was weird the feeling i had at that moment staring at him a chill or something we have to tobias said to me slowly i nodded yes we have no choice so this is all about them putting their hands on the box and like getting these powers and tobias seems uniquely keyed into all of this Hmm. and before they leave the andalite touches tobias specifically and tobias has this like inscrutable look on his face and jake clocks this of like something happened there we don't know until later but essentially the andalite just like drop boxed him (laughs) like a ton of pngs like (laughs) sends him a slideshow Everything you need to know about the year invasion 101. Yeah. (laughs) It's very, uh, like, fifth element, like, Lulu watching TV, but, like, all at once. And poor Tobias is like, like, I guess I have to sort through this all now. Mm -hmm. Um, So Tobias becomes their kind of, like, stand-in, like, delegate from the Andalites almost. Like, he has the information. He is going to be our, like, info drop boy going forward. Mm -hmm. But he seems really connected with them, which is really interesting. I don't... I don't know. There's got to be, like, more plot stuff here. But I think it also kind of clues into this thematic storytelling that we've gotten so far with Tobias feeling and being seen as an outsider you Mm -hmm. know like he feels this comfort with these aliens he gets them um and i i think that that's a really sweet tie together that like and i think that this relates to the trans stuff which i haven't gotten to many trans feelings about tobias yet i'm excited oh see i already get it and i i've got a i've got a passage saved for when we get to it Oh, I can't there is wait. already so a line that I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I like this idea of like, as an outsider in a large, like in society, basically, that you find community with other 
outsiders, that mm. feels very real to me. Whether we're looking at Tobias as trans, as not neurodivergent, like we know that he is, even if he's just a, a normal boy, neurotypical nerd, he is he still is an outsider. Other. He's other. Yes, yes yeah. exactly. These ships all land and everything is so fucking bad. They have guns, there's a ton of them, and they're coming right at these kids. And we launch into chapter five. Um, Visser 3 confirmed is an Andalite controller. Um, and we know that this Andalite was a prince, and his name is, and I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say this right it's at all. Prince, prince Elfangor Serenial Shamtul. Okay, Elfangor. Yeah. Okay. El- okay. Well, I, that's the way I've pronounced it. Elfangor, Elfangor. Okay. It, people do different ones, but yeah. Legit. Um, hey, how come henceforth they still call him the Andalite? That's so disrespectful. <laughs> you couldn't just remember his name. <laughs> I like, could. It, I know Prince Elfangor. It was just a matter of pronunciation. I think it's probably because that's the only Andalite they've met other than like Visser Three, who isn't really an Andalite anymore. Right. And everything is really overwhelming. And they're like, well, this guy said that the Andalite. Yeah. It just seems... It still seems he's a prince, guys. <laughs> One thing I also really appreciate about this these books is how alien the aliens are. Right? Oh, like we're so yeah. used to just seeing like little green men, but like no. Nah. There are so many different aliens and there's so many incredibly not human, not humanoid aliens. And it's yeah, great. Like like even I, I think the most humanoid we get are the Andalites. And they mm-hmm. are, they're still pretty fucking different. Then we're in chapter six. Um, so Visser Three evaporates the Andalite ship with a Dracon beam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the light of that, Jake sees three to four human people. Not good. Um, he's like, you know, they're fighting and Visser Three transforms into this big eldritch horror and picks up Prince Elfengor and uh, is about to eat him. And in we go to chapter six. Jake almost gives up where they're hiding because he keeps <sighs> being like, no, don't do it. I don't know how they didn't get killed right then and there. <laughs> there are many, many instances in these books where we're like, how? Yeah. <laughs> I love you. And you're dumb children. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Jake hears a familiar laugh from these human people. Um, and I immediately was like, oh, one of them has got to be Tom. And then I said Tom controller. And in fact, we find out later. Yes. Um, and then uh, even though Jake is like, no, don't do it. Prince Elfengor full on gets eaten and they have that moment and they feel him die and the passage is at the very end he cried out his cry of despair was in our heads his cry will always be in our heads these books go hard so immediately (laughs) so much yeah well and i I think it's it's so uh, what i really there's this uh this thing that um i think it's cassie that says mm-hmm. it to Jake when he's about to be like, no, and he's going to grab like a lead pipe and fucking yeah. fight this eldritch horror. And, yeah. and and Elfangor like thought speaks to Jake, be like, no, don't do this. And Cassie's like, don't like, 
he doesn't want us to die for him. Can't you see right. that he's dying for us? Yes. Um, yeah, it's so Ugh. good. Um, so good. Yeah. Oh, and the, the the like last thing that he like tells them is like, I can't tell you all the limitations and shit, but don't, the most important thing, don't be in a morph for more than two hours. Yeah. He sure does tell them that. Yep. He sure does. He sure does. <laughs> now, well, um, yeah, I'll put a pin in that. I'll talk about it when we get to it. I'll talk about it when we get to it. It's so hard not to talk about the thing right now. <laughs> so the kids are being traced, uh, chased by the hork controllers, and they're hiding in this construction area. And then uh, here's a fucked up thing that happens and nobody talks about it. Jake... Yep runs across a homeless man who is staying in the construction site and literally fucking leaves him for dead. And, like, yeah. he doesn't seem to, like, think about this afterwards. It just happens. And then that's it? Yeah. Does I mean, this he's, he's, ever he... come up again? Not really. I mean, it's, oh it's, because, it's because I I know it's terrible. I think it, it's meant to be like, this is the gravity of the situation. It's right. Jake mentions that he tries to, like, warn the guy, but... Yeah. Any longer, and he would have been caught by a hork controller. Yeah. Like, fucked Again, up. immediately fucked into the, like, horrors of war. You gotta make sacrifices. Uh, I guess if I gotta save myself and save the world, I gotta, I can't stop and try to save this guy. Yeah. It's fucked. Oh, jeez. Jeez, that's so rough. Yeah. Um, I wish maybe Jake would have... <laughs> ruminated and had more guilt about it just in in as much as like homeless and unhoused activism brain you know but like again 96 96 96 uh so in chapter seven they have made it home they're safe um and we are introduced to an extremely important character who is dude who is (laughs) tobias's cat um fucking awesome name we also get this background on tobias's really sad family so he has an uncle who is his guardian here who tobias is with most of or like half of the time his aunt and his uncle are divorced and his aunt is on the other coast now this is where (laughs) my theories were like wait hold up where are we and then i was thinking like well i assumed it was california just because that's where I just thought. But now I live in New York and like we get, we have like a lot of these like overgrown abandoned construction sites. That feels very East Coast, but like maybe it feels very West Coast. Maybe it's, just, I don't know. So that's where this all comes from. Um, the dad, we have no clue what the deal is on the dad. I don't think that the mom knew that, like, I don't think that the dad was in the picture. And then the mom just up and left a few years that's ago. That's right. So this that's is right. extremely depressing. Yeah, I think I said at the top that, like, maybe his parents died, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, his parents are just not in the picture, and his yeah guardians are barely in the picture. Yeah, but they seem, like you said, like, very removed, like, you know, I would, I would border on probably pretty neglectful. Yeah. Um, Tobias seems very lonely, very off on his own, but... Now he has this exciting power. So he gets the DNA from Dude. He transforms in front of Jake. And his eyes glow green when he does it. Oh, that's just him turning into a cat. That's just Jake observing his eyes turning into reflective green cat eyes. 
Okay. Yeah, there's there's no there's no special green glow. It's just him being like, I, I didn't notice anything different except for like his eyes were fucking weird. Because the okay, morphs well, happen in like all sorts of different ways. <laughs> I really thought <laughs> I, I really saw that thought, in your notes and I was like, oh, oh, sweet baby Will. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this has something to do with his weird connection with the Andalite, because nobody else's eyes glow green. <laughs> This is so much fun. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, this is so fun. So- no, that's fucking great. <laughs> so Tobias comes over and is like, hey, look, it's real and transforms into dude. And Jake is like, what the fuck? So then we get introduced to Jake's dog, Homer. Um, Tobias. Jake is like, can you please turn back into a human person? I don't... This is freaky. Tobias turns back into a human. Um, Tobias tells Jake that he is their leader. And Jake is immediately like, I don't think so. I don't think I have that aptitude. Because he fucking hates himself. Um, And Tobias is, like, again, working on this angle of, like, we have to do this. You have to be the leader. You are the only one who can bring this group together, which I think is underselling Cassie a bit. But I, I get it. I get it. Um, and Tobias, I mean, Tobias is like, you has a little this. bit of, like, a hero complex for Jake. Just the way yeah. that, like, Jake has interacted with him and kind of saved him from bullies, too. So That totally makes sense. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And Tobias is like, go find Homer. Get his DNA. You got to do this. Um, then we get to chapter nine where Jake turns into Homer and we get our first, like, first person POV, um, morphing, Mm -hmm. um, and it's fucking disgusting. So (laughs) (laughs) it's so gross. And I think one of the things about the book covers is, like, growing up. I don't think that I thought that they were gross on purpose. I think I couldn't conceptualize that a book for kids would have something that's gross on purpose. I thought that they were just kind of, like, goofy and, Mm -hmm. like, weren't aware that it looked like a disgusting, horrific process. No. They're so aware. Absolutely. They were – those covers were so fucked up on purpose. They are not just goofy. It is a disgusting, horrific process. And the covers don't even – don't even cover it. No. (laughs) There's only so much you can do with, like, with with (laughs) drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's so – it's so gross. And it has this feeling – and I'm going to – I have another passage here – Jake says, my bones, dot, 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 well, they didn't exactly hurt, but they did feel very strange. You know when you go to the dentist and he gives you Novocaine so the drill doesn't really hurt, but you know it should hurt? I guess it's like, I guess that's what it's like. Again, fucked up. And also, (laughs) this leads me to more of like, I don't fucking trust these Andalites. I don't (laughs) like that. I'm glad it doesn't hurt, but this feels like, do you remember... This is, like, so – this is so niche and so, like, old. But I think sometime around, like, 2012 to 2014, people realized that the reason that Johnson's baby shampoo doesn't hurt babies' eyes isn't because it has, like, nice ingredients that won't hurt their eyes, but because it has a numbing agent 
in it. Oh shit, um, I, I'm learning this today. <laughs> okay, so that's wild, right? Like, yeah. It, like that, I, like it makes sense logically. Like, yeah, how do you make soap that just doesn't hurt a baby's eyes? But also, like, there's something creepy about that. Mm-hmm. So there's something kind of insidious about it. Oh, I don't know what it is. There's like, so much you don't know about morphing technology. Oh my god, oh no. <laughs> it is infinitely more horrific oh, than you can fuck. think. I'm excited and terrified. That's like exactly what my brain thought about just, was the feeling of like put in the ba- put in your back pocket the concept of like conservation of mass. Oh no. Just stick that in your pocket. This is a nice little little easter egg for all the people who will be listening to this who know animorphs. Just put oh, that in your wow. pocket. Oh wow. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. Back pocket, back pocket, back pocket. Don't think about that too hard right now. <laughs> so, Jake turns into Homer and he is immediately taken over by dog instinct. Um, and he, like, right off the bat, struggles to remember what his human brain feels like and his human brain logic. He's got these really um, intense primal instincts that he's having a hard time separating from his logic. And like right off the bat this felt very familiar to me as somebody with diagnosed PTSD hmm. um hmm. they just witnessed this extremely horrific event last night and when you're having a flashback or a, a trigger comes up or something like that with PTSD it is really hard to separate your logic from your very, like, human biological fight-or-flight instincts and that panic. And I know that that is not, like, literally what's going on in the text, but I do think, like, I think about had I read these books as a kid a lot because, unfortunately, a lot of my trauma and the locus of my PTSD is from my very early childhood, I think that if I had read these books when I was little, I would have felt very seen by this and had no idea why. You know what yeah. I mean? It's almost as um, if like the first moments of a of a morph can feel in some ways like trying to get hold of a dissociation. Yeah. 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 Totally. So struggling with this. Jake sees Homer outside and is like, dog, dog on my lawn, and starts barking, (laughs) which then catches Tom's attention. So Tom comes in because he hears the barking and he sees that what he thinks is is Homer is in Jake's room and is just barking. And he calls Jake Homer a bad dog. And Jake is so so sad. sad. He's so distraught by this, which is, I think, precious. And he notes that Tom smells weird. And that Tom's laugh is definitely the same laugh that he heard around Visser 3. Dun, dun, dun. Chapter 10, um, we get background on the other, like, a few of the others' families. We don't really get Rachel's family until book two. But... They all, so Jake calls everybody and plans to meet at Cassie's farm in a few hours. Until then, Tom and Jake talk and it's like very strange and awkward. 
So Jake finally brings up that he did not get on the basketball team. And he has been dreading this since like literally page one or two. So he's been dreading this. He thinks that Tom is going to be so mad or so disappointed. And Tom is like, I don't give a fuck. Uh, It's fine. I don't give a shit. Um, And Jake is like, who are you? And Tom is like, yeah, I super don't give a shit. I quit a few days ago. I just didn't even tell anybody because it mattered to me that little. Jake is like, what's going on? And then Tom is like, you know, I've been spending a lot of time at this club called The Sharing. The Sharing. Totally normal name that I absolutely trust and not the name of a cult. <laughs> Definitely not the name of a cult. I think, definitely like, not. Marco, get, Marco gets it immediately. He's like, yeah, this definitely <laughs> yes. seems like a cult. Yes. So they meet up at the farm. And again, Marco, like you said, he's like, he's clocking everything and he does not fucking want in. Because we find out more about Marco's family. And this shit is so sad. Everybody's sad. (laughs) Everybody's sad. So a few years ago, and I should have realized that when we were talking about Tobias, it's like, are his parents dead? Because no, Marco's uh, kind of like got the corner on dead parents. Yeah. Uh, His mom drowned two years ago. Now, a note on that. They never found her body. And I am convinced that she did not drown, that she has been yerked somewhere. And K.A. Applegate is like just waiting until the most traumatic possible moment to bring out Marco, who's thought for years that his mom is dead. And here she is. And she's going to be used to lure him in and yerk him. Um, I'm convinced. Do not tell me anything. <laughs> I'm not. Okay. Um, so Marco thinking that his mom is dead, which I'm not convinced about, but um, his dad has spiraled. So he used to be an industrial engineer. He lost his job. He is super agoraphobic. He's working as a night janitor. There is this really extremely sad detail that his dad just watches TV with the sound off. Yeah. And something about that is like just the profound depression that evokes of like even the sound on TV is too overstimulating, is devastating. Yeah. The man is, is, is fucked up. Yeah. fucked up over it yeah and so like marco is just carrying all of that on his shoulders he instantly has to become a parent basically yeah exactly exactly so he's been completely parentified by the situation because his dad is no longer capable of parenting him and because of that marco feels extremely protective of his father and also feels like the sole caretaker of his father And that is largely driving – I mean, like, it seems like he's scared and, like, he doesn't want to, you know, do this. But he's especially scared because he can't fathom dying and leaving his dad alone. I know. That's so He's like, if I'm gone, my dad is just, like, I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. I'm I'm an 11 or 12-year-old child and I'm afraid to die. Yeah. Yeah. And Tobias is judgy about that. Tobias is kind of bitchy sometimes. (laughs) Tobias is definitely kind of bitchy sometimes. I mean, he's he's got this like really 
really like intense connection to the Andalite and you know yeah. to Elfangor and he's like using this as like come on guys we have to do this but you know he kind of has like a moral superiority reasons. complex about it which I understand as somebody who like has not had anything to be passionate and attach himself to until now um especially at this young age but like man his mom is dead like chill out (laughs) give him a break yeah Yeah. so they're talking about everything that's been going on so far talking about last night talking about um you know morphing and what have you and they realize like how many controllers there must already be everywhere. Mm. So this was a huge note for me. I really thought that this book would be, because it's called The Invasion. I thought this book would be the start of the invasion. I thought we were seeing the inciting Mm. incident of the Yerks first coming to Earth. That's not the case at all. And that immediately makes the stakes so high and so scary. scary. Yeah. So scary because they have no fucking clue who could be controllers who are here to, like, destroy the Earth. They have no concept of scope or numbers. And they have no concept of even how to identify these people. Like, even even with Tom, which we'll see, like, to me as a reader, knowing the genre and knowing the trappings, like, I know that Tom is a controller. This is obvious to me. But were I Jake, there's no way that would be obvious to me. I would just kind of think, like, oh... Tom is like a teenager who is uh has lost one passion and has found another. Like that's so mm-hmm. normal, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, who's growing up and not necessarily hanging out with his kid brother as much. Like Exactly. It exactly. All fits. Yeah. I also think that like well Hold on, I'm reevaluating. I was going to say, I think that it feels like a much more natural place for most other um, books in these genres to start with, like, the inciting incident of what all is going on. But then I thought about, like, well, in Percy Jackson, that's obviously all been going on for, like, ever, literally. And in Harry Potter, like, the Wizarding World is a thing. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. But I really, I really thought, like, we were at the start and that is so not the case and i love that they 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 have so little information here it makes sense from a storytelling perspective because you know we use them as like our foot in the door for understanding this world and what's going on like we're we learn with them which feels very natural Mm -hmm. um but it also again makes everything so scary like you really have no idea who you can trust and i I love that kind of story. It's very X-Files. It's very trust no one. Yeah. Yes. Which was also like in the zeitgeist at the time that these books are coming out. Yeah, fucking owns. Yeah. So, oh, we should also talk about the farm. So we get Cassie's family. We get background on them. So her dad is a vet at their wildlife rehabilitation clinic, which is the farm. So this takes in like non-pet animals. So it'll take in like horses and like probably a like a badger (laughs) like injured birds right birds lots of birds um and then her mom is a vet at the gardens and the gardens is a huge amusement park with a zoo um which again like where the fuck does this take place (laughs) um 
but so her her parents are very animally, which again gets us like really, really good ins for all of this. And in fact, as they're talking, Jake is like, hey, where the fuck is Cassie? And they're like, oh, she's over there. And she's literally a horse. <laughs> Cassie rules. Cassie's like, sup, I'm a horse. Yep. And then and, and Cassie is real good at it. Oh, she's so good at it. She is like incredibly adept at morphing. She can control it really well. She makes morphing graceful. Yes. And she's figured out how to do it with clothes on. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we mentioned that. Uh Yanaki. Yanaki. <laughs> Cause like, you know, shapes change. But if you wear tight fitting clothes, you won't like like athletic wear, pretty much like stretchy tight clothes, you should be fine and you won't have to be naked. And mm-hmm. Cassie is the one who's figured this out and how to do it. And then out of fucking nowhere, the cops are there. <laughs> Animorphs say a cab. Yes. <laughs> I thought, I thought initially that the cops were coming in to be like, hey, we heard about some disturbance at this construction site. What's going on? I thought it was just going to be like cops doing cop things. Uh, no. These are immediately corrupt cops who are coming to do like COINTELPRO. Mm-hmm. Um, they are fully yerked. They are controllers. They know Tom. They're part of the sharing. And they're like, Hey Jake, why don't you come to the sharing? You know, you look like this kid. I know. Are you his brother? Like, it really. These books really introduced cops, and we're immediately like, oh, they're corrupt. By the way, yeah, yeah, that's and it's, so fucking And it's important cool. to note that like a bunch of neighbors, when they saw a fucking spaceship and heard an eldritch monster, called the cops and were like, hey, there's fucking spaceships and like yeah. eldritch monsters happening. And immediately the cops were like, no, it was just a bunch of kids with fireworks. Yes. So that that tells them like how deep this already goes. And like, you know, whatever, let's go to the cops or let's get a video camera and film this. Nobody's going to leave these kids because these institutions are already infested. Exactly, exactly. And I really like and we'll get into this more in book two, but the Yerks understand sociological power and the power mm-hmm. of institutions. And that's what they target first and foremost and the hardest is they are looking for people in positions of power and utilizing that power. And I'm sure we're going to get to like politicians and what have you, but I really love that in this first book, they immediately the first the first instance you get is the cops and the fact that the cops are the bad guys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's so yeah. good so they wiggle their way out of this like very light questioning um and then they kind of share like a vote on what to do and the vote is tobias says you know of course i'm doing this Cassie also says, um, of course I'm doing this. I love having these powers and I want to use them to help endangered species, which I think is lovely. Um, Rachel says yes, because they have a responsibility to help. Marco says, absolutely fucking not. I want nothing to do with this. And Jake says, let's chill. Let's take some time. Let's pause this. And everybody's like, okay. Um, 
Marco and Jake go to very awkwardly play some more video games. Tom shows up to join them and tries to like recruit them into the, the sharing again. And Marco, very end of this chapter, says, Jake, Tom's a controller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like, <laughs> Jake fucking punches Marco. Jake decks him in the face. <laughs> I was not like, ready. Say that again, motherfucker. I was not ready. It's so funny. It, it, and like, like, what is that? Like, it opens the chapter with that? Yes. Yes. God. It's so good. It's so good. And I, I totally don't blame him. Um, So, Jake does not believe Marco. He refuses to believe Marco. But it's, like, very clear that he, somewhere deep down, he's putting the pieces together. Um, things like seeing, you know, hearing Tom's laugh, um, the way that Tom has been acting, but Jake is still, he's like refusing to let himself believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, so then in the midst of all of this, Tobias shows up as a red tailed hawk and like at his window, just tap, tap, tap with his little beaky. Yes. I think we got to talk about this because One of the things where if you know anything about Animorphs past, like, the book covers, you probably know that Tobias permahawks. He Mm -hmm. stays in a morph for too long, and he stays a hawk forever. So I vaguely knew that it was Tobias. I I knew that somebody turned into a hawk forever. Um, I wasn't sure who it was. Um... And Tobias showed up, and I was I, the dread, <laughs> the dread <laughs> that hit me in that moment. Cause like, it's very different knowing that it's a meme that Tobias turns into a hawk forever than it is to like get to know Tobias and yeah. see him as a hawk and know that like eventually he is going to be a hawk forever. I had so much dread, and mm. I, I sort of had like podcast guilt having that spoiler because I was convinced that this was a spoiler for somewhere around like book 20 (laughs) book 30 (laughs) nope turns out no put a pin in that listener (laughs) (sighs) yeah this series goes fucking hard this series goes hard your first pov book of tobias is him fully in hawk just as a hawk that's crazy like (laughs) crazy the first time you get a pov from this boy in the books is he is already a perma hawk unreal so tobias says that he was a hawk um because he was scoping out for a yerk pool so a yerk pool we get the information this is one of the like drop boxed pngs that tobias got (laughs) um the yerk pools are these big pools of water or not water we'll get to that they're pools of liquid yeah and they are where the yerks have to leave their host bodies every three days very important um to go get nutrients from a device elsewhere called the candrona that uh, the candrona turns the nutrients into particles that get beamed and concentrated into the pools um and then the yurks go and like get revitalized in there um the timing of this every three days is super important and plays in 
huge to their plans. I did remember York Pools from the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, they the the execution of the York Pools gotta say pretty lackluster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't get so, the they don't get the scope of it. They don't get no. the grandiosity and the size of it. No, I thought that the York Pools. So Tobias says that he's looking for like swimming pools that look fucked up. I thought that the York pools were going to be like the size of like a dinner table. Um, neither of those are right. We'll get to that. But yeah, the scope, not accurate in the show. So we have this big confrontation between Tobias, Jake, and Marco. Um, because Tobias is like already out doing work. And Jake is like, I thought we paused. Like I said, let's pause. Or Cassie said, let's pause. Why are we not pausing? And Tobias is like, I don't feel a need to pause. I know what I'm doing. And Marco is like, I'm not fucking doing this. Stop trying to get me to fucking do this. And this is a confrontation that lasts at least through the entire book. It also carries over a bit to book two. Um, I really love that Jake is a protagonist here and a, like, leader who does not focus first and foremost on action. Mm -hmm. He focuses on gathering information and thinking and processing and, like, really coming to grips with what you're doing before you're doing it. That feels so unique to me Mm -hmm. in this genre. I feel like we always have characters who, you know, have this – they're the ones with the hero complex, which Jake does not have. It is being projected onto him. Well, and that's what you want. That's, 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 you, you don't want a leader who's like, I want to be a leader. Yes. Right. You know, this is also why I think that the Young Justice team could like knock this out of the water. That's like a huge conflict in Young Justice is like, who's going to be the Batman the or the Superman, decisions. you know? Yeah. yeah. Um. I love this. I, I just think this is so much about this series is so sophisticated to me. Um, not only in a way like just for like kids books, but I also think this is like the kind of gracefulness and execution of a good leader that like we don't get in a lot of like media for big kids either. Mm-hmm. Jake kind of shuts this shit down. And then Marco is emotionally blackmailing Jake, pretty much. Grasping at straws. Which is so sad, like, in context. So Marco is like, oh, so you you want to fight? You want to fight this fight? Oh, you want to kill your fucking brother who's a controller? Are you cool with that? Um, And it is very immediately clear that Marco is so jealous of Jake's family. Jake has this normal family. It functions well. You know, he hasn't been super close with his brother, but that's like the only thing wrong in his family. And Marco has nothing. He has the shell of his father and his mom is dead. That's it. So of course, of course he's grasping at threads. He is desperate to get Jake on his side here. And we find out more later. That makes this even more fucking sad. Um, But it's just a very... Again, like a very humanizing, very sophisticated writing detail that we can see Mm. Marco Mm -hmm. desperate, desperate to convince his friend. And also to, you know, have him come from the same perspective of like, you know, they're a real like they're a real emotional 
stakes here. Absolutely. Yeah. Never Morphed is hosted, edited, and produced by Will Williams. Our theme music is The Chase by Joey Hendricks. Our title is by Eddie Feely, and this podcast would not exist without Mike Schubert's podcast, Potterless and the Newest Olympian. You can find his works at shub.es. That's S-H-U-B dot E-S. Never Morphed is a proud member of Hughouse Productions. You can find more at hughouse.productions and follow us on Tumblr at Nevermorphed. Get morphin'!